Hello, friends. It's that time again that you know and love. It's that time to find your balls. My name is Jeff Stuckey. I'm riding shotgun. Greg Allen, as always, has his hands on the wheel to keep this motherfucker on the road. <laughs> Good morning, Jeff. Good luck today. <laughs> I am bitchy. I know it. What? I've seen it. I can tell. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be I good. I thought that though. might like come as somewhat of a surprise. Not, with your... Since you walked in the door, we got a different Jeff today. Wow. Okay. Well. <laughs> but it's going to uh, be good. It's anyway. Gonna be good. Uh, yeah. So uh, we doing any small talk today? Or we? Well, you know, I did want to say one thing I learned about small talk. Okay. I read an article that most people don't know when to end a conversation, like oh. at, a, at a party or something. I'll give but an what amen they, to that. Yeah, but what they also don't know is the other person wants it to end as well. But we're giving off uh, opposite signals. Nobody wants to, to look like they want it to end, so you don't really know. So I tried that immediately. Yesterday I saw somebody walking down the street. We talked for a second, and in my my thought, we're just halfway in the conversation. But I, but I said, hey, man, it's so good seeing you, man. I got to get going. He goes, oh, yeah, good. And it worked out great for both of us. So now I'm kind of looking forward to small talk because I know also to keep it so dang short that you, you wanted more or you're just happy leaving. You know? yeah. When I work with clients who need, like when we're look, working on assertiveness, those kinds of things, one of the first things that I encourage them to start practicing is, deliberately ending conversations okay like have an exit like rehearse an exit line yeah. you know something that you can comfortably say that will get you out of the conversation and then because you like on phone calls you know sometimes phone calls <laughs> like it's like hey talk to you later yeah okay talk to you later okay bye okay bye yeah, bye ya. i mean it's just like <laughs> just hang the fucking phone up and I just hang up like that's like yeah. I just like click and like whatever. That's oh, you don't I, even say you don't even. No, say no, no. Goodbye. I give I give no. the proper salutation. I don't say. Are you if, say, if you call me and ask a question, if I answer it, that's it. You yeah. might say see ya, but it's as you're hanging up. That's good feedback. Okay, because <laughs> okay. I might be hitting. <laughs> I might be going a little strong on that. All right, that's that's useful. Okay. Let's see, look at us growing ah, helping in our other. appreciation of small talk and uh, <laughs> anyway. So today. Uh, we have a a very emphasis on very special guest. Mm -hmm. um, I am super excited about this because one, okay, I'm going to go public with this. I, I think <laughs> I have a man crush. So, so oh, to have to have a man crush on the program. Okay. And but it's for it's for mostly not entirely but mostly superficial reasons because Neil Chapman is our guest today and I have never seen him not perfectly dressed like any and ever like fucking nails it. <laughs> I dress like a goddamn 5-year-old. So you're saying you've never seen me naked? I am saying that. Oh, yeah, God. you I didn't even have saying, to say that. Let me be very clear that I am saying I have never seen. Yeah, you know, I'm not real sure what your podcast is all about. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, we're we're rethinking we're, this thing here. It it may have a totally new direction after today's podcast. But go on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so, um, but in the times that I have spent with him, it's all. I mean, I've always there's always been some little nugget that i've taken away that's like well, holy fuck i didn't know that mm -hmm. um 
And I would say, in my mind, the category, I mean, he just is effortly, effortlessly intellectual. Like, mm-hmm. he always has an incredible understanding of things at a depth that is, I mean, I'm a simpleton, so you don't have to be too deep <laughs> to go beyond me. But it's just, it, it's always been one of those situations where you walk away from the interaction and you're like, that was a fucking good interaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Neil Chapman, welcome. Hey, good morning. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, guys. Yeah, you're here now, bro. You <laughs> can't God. leave. We yeah. got Greg blocking so, the door. <laughs> I'm so screwed. There's nothing I'm going to be able to say this morning that's going to equal that introduction. <laughs> yeah, we'll <laughs> see. God. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, Remember earlier we were talking about expectations? Hey, hey, hey <clears throat> I'm going to... anchoring, you just failed. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, but now I know that, so that gives us... Uh, but remember, Neil, as, yeah. as you um, uh, made me aware of earlier, it's not about you. Okay, so we'll throw that one back at you. <laughs> so anyway, I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure it's going to be incredibly interesting uh, and just look forward to it. So thanks for being here. Uh, I've never heard your backstory, man. Give me give me the give me the backstory of Neil Chapman. Well, it's, it's not too far from here. Uh, Newburgh, Indiana is uh, born here in Evansville, born and raised in uh, lived in Newburgh my entire life, graduated from Castle High School. And if there's one thing that'll be in my obituary is the fact that I was an all-state uh, fullback for the 1982 Castle High School undefeated state champions. Wow. No Man. shit. That's good. Fullback, so, you say? I know. And, and John Lyde used to shake his head and think, how in the hell did we beat Carmel with a 175-pound fullback? <laughs> That's a reasonable question, so, so bro. Yeah, you I must did, have been like fucking... <laughs> Wolverine type, huh? Well, and I did weigh more. I, I weighed ten pounds less today, so I was, <laughs> wow. I was bigger in high school. <laughs> cool. I had I did not know that. And so um, I went on to USC. Uh, I got a scholarship, not a football scholarship. Obviously, I don't think I could have been the tackling dummy <laughs> at, at USC. But I, I landed a uh, it was a naval ROTC scholarship, which is a lot like the Naval Academy, except you don't have to go to the Naval Academy. You can go to any university hmm. that that has naval ROTC, such as Purdue. I also was looking at Purdue. Uh, Stanford was my first choice. Didn't get into Stanford. So I was at USC. And uh, <laughs> funny, one of the reasons I wanted to go to USC is because, because I thought O.J. Simpson was such a cool guy. And, you know, in, in 1984, he was. Uh, Ten years later, <laughs> not, not as so much. much, right, not, right, as, okay. not as much. Yeah. So uh, I, I enjoyed uh, – it was an eye-opener. If you know anything about USC, it's kind of a school of uh, – BMWs and, and bag ladies, you know, that's high contrast because in South Central Los Angeles, you know, there's, there's just a stark difference <laughs> in mm-hmm. what you see mm-hmm. on the, on the streets and, and the kids down there, I didn't know this going in, but it's the university of spoiled children to, to the detractors. Uh, and so I was nothing like a lot of the, the guys there. Uh, so I joined a fraternity also. So that was another odd thing. Not many uh, not many ROTC types were in fraternities. Yeah, right. If you've seen Animal House, uh, which was still a legendary movie yeah. back, you know, every guy yeah. wanted to be Animal House. And, of course, everyone knew about the, the Niedermeyer, who, <laughs> right. who was the, the dreaded uh, dork, uh, uncool uh, Niedermeyer. So every ROTC guy had to deal with the legacy of Niedermeyer. Wouldn't that if I'm saying his name right? Yeah, yeah. So that was tough go going against that curve, but you know. So what was that initial up. transition from Newburgh, Indiana, to USC? Yeah. I yeah. mean, was there some culture shock through that, or yeah. was it? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot. 
Uh, and, and to this day, I have this kind of a, a chip on my shoulder, admittedly, about uh, geographical snobs. I don't like geographical snobbery. And it infects anyone who lives in cool places. Uh, but New York and Los Angeles, of course, because you remember those, those posters? I think they came out in the 80s, the World View. It, it was probably New Yorker magazine that first had it. And it showed a drawing uh, from, you know, World View of someone who lives in Los Angeles. And you see L.A. and then this map looking to the east, and you might see Chicago, <laughs> maybe the St. Louis Arch, and then there's, right. you know, everything. So anything east of Palm Springs is back east. And so when people learn <laughs> you're from Indiana... They'd say, "Oh, you're from you're from back. You're from east." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't generally, you know, when you're raised in Indiana, you don't think of you know that you're living in the east. No, but all things are relative, you know. Right. But even to this day, uh, the, the coastal snobbery, uh, people don't understand how. And you, pro- you guys probably get this when you're when you're traveling and someone finds out you're from Indiana or even Evansville, yeah. Indiana's even more so, and and they put you on the defensive, like, "What? Why do you live there?" Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> And they can't process it, especially if you have any sense of um, if you can string together more than a right. couple sentences. Any level of sophistication. And, yes. like, <laughs> like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if you're wearing a shirt with a collar, right. uh, uh, you know, it, it just it just blows their minds uh, to this day. And yeah. uh, so I love I love sort of jousting with people yeah. uh, when I travel about that, and, and I'm very proud of my roots here. Was the so, naval route, was that an intentional pursuit, or did that mm-hmm. more pursue you? Um, a little of both. Uh, you know, I was looking at scholarship. I had some opportunities to play small college football, but I didn't, you know, I knew football wasn't going to be a part of my life <laughs> after high school. And so, um, you know, I, I wanted to do bigger, bigger things. And probably like many Americans, you have this mythology of Hollywood, and, and you know, it's a sense that you want to see that and experience that. Many, And I was always an aspirational kid. I mean, I was aspirational. From people ask me why, why were you like? I don't know. I was always. I didn't know any other way. I mm-hmm. wanted nicer things. I wanted to accomplish. I wanted to do all these things. So, at, at what age would you say that started to uh, reveal itself? Uh, probably at as- the age of five. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like how so? What were the earliest expressions of of your aspirations? Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Miami Dolphins were the biggest thing then, right? And of course, we had the Evansville connection with Bob Greasy. Sure. Mm-hmm. And some of my first memories, I you know, I wanted the right dolphin T shirt. I wanted the right dolphins hat and the right dolphins jacket. Do you remember those leather jackets? The arms were kind of oh hell yeah, fake leather. Yes, probably. yes, yes. You know, and so there was the Dolphins guys and the Cowboys guys, and then of course the Steelers kids started coming on, but. And then, and the fact that you know, my, my dad was a farmer type, and he was always happy with a beat up Ford F one fifty or whatnot, and and I and I kind of resent. I, I I knew that you know he could do better than than something. He didn't care about appearances, and I always did. And I don't know why I was cursed with. I felt cursed by it because I wasn't happy with the way that my my father approached things. He was the exact opposite. He was a farmer type, but he was also a businessman, small businessman. But he didn't place value on those things, which is fine. Did that have any tension in you guys' relationship? Or oh yeah, you... absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We didn't we didn't have a whole lot of overlap, but but I did learn from him his discipline and his he was he was a hard nosed, disciplined, very hard working guy, and so hopefully you know maybe that translated some probably the DNA. Yeah. So so back to a less than noble reason for choosing the <laughs> naval is because I decided that they clearly had the best uniforms. Oh yeah. no! I mean, <laughs> you got to decide somehow, right? right? In, in fact, I, I chose the. You, you have an option in in, in in the Naval Academy or Naval ROTC to either be a Navy officer or a Marine Corps officer. Some people don't know. Perhaps the Marine Corps is actually part of the Depart- Department of Navy. We are sister services, so the Marines are within the Department of Navy, and so you had a choice: Marine officer, Navy officer. 
and about 85% have the good, you know, <laughs> the, uh, are, are smart and become Navy officers. And that other 15% <laughs> who just think they're a little tougher and want a little more attention for whatever reason, become Marines. And, uh, <laughs> Because they want bragging rights at the bar. Yeah, yeah. Of course, right. you got you got to pay for those bragging rights. Yeah. Right. And I learned that very quickly. The first week of school, that there's a marine drill instructor assigned to every naval ROTC unit, and they put you through. And they don't tell you this, of course, when they're trying to sell you the program, <laughs> but they put you through a little mini boot camp. You know, so when all of your peers are rushing a fraternity or figuring out their classes, you got your head shaved, and you're <laughs> up at uh, zero dark thirty, uh, doing drills and running miles and miles and pull ups and push ups and whatnot. You're like, this Funny was games. not in the fucking brochure. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's like when cross-training, you know, kicked in, what, 15 years ago or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we did that. That was, <laughs> that's called the Marine Corps. <laughs> uh, but but um, so I thought I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. You know, my first week of college and the head's shaved like a cue ball. And uh, that, it wasn't cool. That wasn't cool in the early 80s. It became cool later. Of course, right. That kind of look. But uh, survived all that. And then upon graduation... You're commissioned a second lieutenant, and then I served uh, four years on active duty. Uh, I was a couple of tours in Okinawa, a couple of tours in Yuma, Arizona. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, a couple of tours in Thailand and Korea. Uh, and so I wanted to be – I always felt I wanted to go to law school. And so my, my colonel, my commanding officer, knew that. And I applied to several law schools and been accepted to several of them and uh, applied for the – the Marine Corps has a funded law program where if, if you're selected – uh, they send you to a law, whatever law school you can get into, and they pay your tuition, and you keep your commission, yeah, so your salary. <laughs> so you're making, you know, back then, I don't know, not much, twenty twenty-five thousand dollars a year, but your, your job, yeah. your job's going to law school, <laughs> right. and it's for free. So a sweet deal. That's what I wanted to do. Well, the, the year I got accepted and applied, uh, you know, they invaded uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and so Desert Storm kicked off. And uh, the Marine Corps canceled the, uh, they only gave out about five of those scholarships a year. They, ca- they canceled it that year, which is real, it was devastating. It was a kick in the gut. And I remember reporting to my colonel, and he told me the news, and uh, I didn't take it well. And he suggested, because I'd been accepted to Notre Dame, which was sort of my dream, probably because Notre Dame had, you know, kicked USC's ass for so many years. <laughs> Can't beat them. <laughs> yeah, Join them. And it was with striking striking distance to back home. So, um he said, son, if, uh, if you could find a way to go to Notre Dame on your own, I'd do that. So I uh, reached out to my family, and uh, fortunately I had a great, a great aunt who never had any children. And she always considered my dad sort of her son. And uh, she wrote me and said, you know, if the Marine Corps won't send you to Notre Dame, I'll, I'll help. And so she helped me enough to, uh, to get going. And so I, I resigned my commission, and I, I went to Notre Dame Law as a, um, as a civilian. So I, went stra- so I went straight from Okinawa to, to South Bend, and you're, you're walking around camps. You're like, all these round-eyed girls. I mean, it was, <laughs> don't cancel me, bro. But yeah, we called them, we called them round eyes. You know the. Yeah, yeah, I think we get it. Yeah. So you had a couple of, I don't know, significant setbacks. One, just getting to USC, shaving your head. And so you're in this emotional place where you feel like you've made the worst decision of your life. How do you rally out of that? Like, what was your mindset rather than saying, fuck this, I'm out of here? Like, what, how did you navigate through that emotional space? 
Oh wow, nobody ever asked me that before. This is like <laughs> I know. Do I owe you something for this? <laughs> no, no, no. I, uh, uh, yes, yet. I mean, but yes. You know, I, I think that a lot of successful people um, are able to delay gratification. You know, you really got to keep your eye on the prize. And I'm probably not nearly as good <laughs> at, as good at that now as I was then. And and I think age has a lot to do with it. And so I often think about you know. Would you want to go back and do it again? And I, I would not want to, because if I had to go back and do it again, I probably would wash out. I don't think I would be able to handle yeah. it. Or I would screw it up. And so um, I think I was able to to be deprived of things in in in, in hope of knowing yeah. that it would get me to a better place yeah. in the future. And and many children, many many people uh, are able to do that instinctively, and and many can't. And I, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to say that successful people are good people and unsuccessful people are, are not. Right. Uh, we, we all need, you know, all God's creatures and, and there's room for everyone. Um, but certainly if, if, um, if you want to be high achieving and I'm going to use that high achieving in those air quotes, sure. <laughs> that's so annoying yeah. that you don't see on a podcast. Thank God. <laughs> but um, it does require a lot of that, you know, because when you are in your teens, that's a great time of your life to, to have fun. And there's mm, a, right. so many ways to do that, especially now. But, but to really get to where you want to go, if, if, you, do, if you do want to be a, a graduate-level type student or, or be a successful uh, entrepreneur or some kind of professional doctor, whatever it is, it's going to require a lot of um, self-denial, I, I think. You know? and, um, Which ultimately, in the end, translates to discomfort, right? Yeah. I mean, it ain't fucking comfortable. Exactly. Um, yeah, pain. you got to endure that. And, and so I held on. There were some pivotal days, but I held on just long enough to where, and, and thank God I played high school football because I think, <laughs> you know, and, and John John Lighty, the coach at Castle High, was a, an old uh, Army officer himself, and so he ran, like many football coaches. It's, it's very, the thing about football, really, is it's, it's the most militaristic thing, right, that a young man can do. Sure. I, I think. Uh, just because there's more trauma. There's more, there's more <laughs> yeah. physical courage, so to speak, because you're faced more danger than perhaps soccer. Uh, I know that's my polarizing <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> the views and, expressed and actually, by Neil Chapman. Pro- pro- <laughs> they're probably the hardest hit I ever took. I think was when I we had to play soccer at physical education class. I got hit in the head with a ball one time. <laughs> okay, well, no helmet. That hurt. So, but but there does you know it's it's a more the strategy of football. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. inherently militaristic, mm-hmm. and it's about that glory. And it, and it makes no sense for a young man to play high school football because there's no you know you're not going to be doing it after the age of 18, generally speaking. And even even if you're good, you're not going to be playing it past the age of 20. And if you're brilliant at it, you're not probably paying, playing past the age of 30, yeah. 31. Yeah, so, yeah. so why not take up golf or, right. or tennis <laughs> or swimming or something like that? So why is it the young men play football? It's because of the glory. Sure. You know? And the, and, and the cheerleaders on the sidelines don't help. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. it, it seems to be the height of a young man's glory is, you know, throughout America to be a high school football star. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting because I've made the observation that back when I played, this is not, and it wasn't healthy, we've advanced, but I, I, there's some interesting component to it. Like when I played high school football, we got one water break. Oh, and, yeah. yeah exactly. And they put this, uh, they, they call it the water tee. They put it on top of a sprinkler head, and that shit's shooting out at like, I don't know what force, <laughs> but you're – and and that's all you got. And if you wanted more water, 
in the course of a practice, that like defiled your manhood. Oh, you're a pussy. Right? Let's, call, mean, let's call it what okay. it is. That yes. was the word we used That's back then. Exact, I don't know what they use. Right. Oh, the Marine Corps is a cheese dick. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you, either, ter- <laughs> yeah. you know, and then today it's like they got nine flavors of fucking Gatorade yeah. on the sideline. And it's like, I, I know that there's, I, I know that there, that shift needed to be made. Like hydration is just basic, <laughs> but there was also an aspect of deprivation there that you just don't find often anymore like it was uncomfortable you were fucking thirsty by the end of practice you know you're chugging whatever you can was, it, was chug. that the best water you ever tasted oh. in your life? and you haven't tasted any manna from fucking right. heaven dude the, du- the like, double double sessions in august yeah right? yeah yes. With all that gear seven o'clock in the morning you're Balls are laying Which, in the morning dew. And I don't think they do that anymore for liability because <laughs> too many young men have died. Right. I mean, double sessions. But look, I'm saying like that's that they, it's very dangerous. The adjustment <laughs> needed to be made, yeah. but there was some aspect of deprivation, discomfort, delayed gratification, whatever you want to call it, that really did contribute to the development of personal resilience. And, yep. and largely you just don't see spaces anymore that expose you to that level of deprivation, discomfort, and then the manifestation of resilience. You know, I think there's a trend uh, in Silicon Valley over the past uh, 10 years or so. Now, this is a, kind of a fringe thing, but it's starting to become more mainstream, where a lot of these Silicon Valley, I don't know why it started with them, but but from the fasting or intermittent fasting, yes, and then the cold showers in the morning, yep, mm-hmm. and even more extreme, they're doing ice baths. Yeah, I know these gurus that practice uh, ice baths. You know, ice baths, and uh, that, that's because because their lives are so pampered. Right, they got to do these weird things just to feel to feel yeah. uncomfortable to, and yeah. to feel. Yeah, and, and I find yeah. that you know mildly intellectually interesting, but yeah. it's uh, it's also kind of kind of bizarre. Uh, but the old-fashioned way, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> with Play football uh, and football and, and, and the military. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but that is is and I, and I started uh, back to your initial question. How do you get through that? At some point, just like it did in football, you start to develop a pride in it, in, in a sense that I can do something that other people can't, and that provides a meaning to your life. That reminds me of Mike. Was it Mike Rao, the the, the dirty jobs guy? Yeah, dirty yeah. jobs. Yeah. And he found he pr- those people he profiled that had those really dirty jobs, like the guy that has to pick up roadkill. Right? right. He starts taking pride in that because he knows that not many people will go every day and pick up roadkill or the guy that has to clean out the shitters. You know, uh, and and they feel they're special because not many other people can do their job, and that maybe they do it better or that right. they can endure it. Yeah. And that gives yeah. them meaning. Yeah. Whereas if you're a person that you know, has to data entry all day, every day. And you know that almost any, you could probably train a a monkey perhaps even to do it. Or one day robots will certainly be taking your job. Um, They're not as happy. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? And that's, and that's what Mike Rowe, his name is Rowe. He's always said, I think he's a Yale educated guy. He's always said that we've been giving the wrong advice to people to follow your passions and things in life. And really you got to find meaning for happiness. And there's a lot of different ways to find meaning uh, besides the, you know, becoming an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. Right. Um, so at, at some point then, uh, I, I really started kind of reveling in, and I always liked those contrasts, and I probably discovered like kind of the way you did through football. There's other ways, you know, we're focusing on football, sure. military, but right, there's right, a right. thousand other ways that people can do this. Although but, rites of passage, you know, that have yeah. been a part of society 
since its inception, especially for young males. Like we don't, those rites of passage, that emotional, physical testing, discomfort, growth, celebration of death of the boy, birth of the man, unfortunately have mostly, if not completely tragically disappeared. But anyway, yet it's, it's, and I used to always think of those as, as so barbaric and it's like, what a gift to give a young man to push him so far past the limits that he thinks he has into this place of tolerance, resilience, like, oh shit, I fucking lived through that. Like, yeah, what the hell else can I do? And you can't do it digitally, really. No. That's, that's <laughs> the problem. And I think the reason many of us have commented how our children, uh, my my 22-year-old daughter is certainly this way. In fact, she didn't get her license, I think, till she was... 19 or 20. Of course, she was in Los Angeles at the time. I didn't want her driving yeah, in LA right. anyway. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> of course, you know, mo- most of our generation, you know, we were uh, up all night the night before our 16th birthday just you know, yeah. dying to get in that car and that feeling of freedom. Do You probably might remember the first time yeah. you drove Fuck alone. Yes. It's crazy. So kids, t- some kids today aren't that interested in that. Why is that? Because maybe maybe they already felt that freedom virtually uh, through through an iPad or an uh, a, a, a Game, Game Boy, PS, whatever. Yeah. Here's what I've are. seen. Here's what I, here's what I've seen develop. You know what most of it is? Most of the kids, it's too stressful for them. Oh, the anxiety of it. Yeah, they can't handle the pressure of it. The the it, the real life distress. It's I've I've got a I've I've worked with a multitude of clients, particularly young men. And they'll rationalize a number of different reasons as to why they're postponing getting their license. But the truth of the matter is it's too fucking stressful and they start to feel that stress and they get overwhelmed. And so they just want to go play Xbox. Well, and, and I thought maybe because, you know, the digital device is much more prized than the, than the automobile. And one reason is, um, and people I think are confounded by why does everyone spend so much time on the, uh, on the iPhone, on the smartphone. Yeah, exactly. My my question back is, I think it's a miracle we don't spend even more time. I mean, if you, if you have any level of curiosity about the world, can you imagine 30, 40 years ago, if we thought we would have this little slab of plastic and metal in our hand that can give us the answer to virtually any question that all human knowledge can be held in your hand. And even multi-dimensional, you can see videos. You can see any video practically that's ever been created. You can call it up within a moment and watch it and learn. And so that's staggering. I mean, I and then we put it in the hands of our fucking children. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. Lock the liquor liquor cabinet, but put the phone in the palm oh, of their hands. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's right? crazy. Like yeah. That, yeah. All right. So you're at Notre Dame. You you graduate from Notre Dame Law School. What's what's the next chapter in Neil's uh, life? Well, you know, I I kind of wanted to stick with uh, sort of the military or law enforcement theme uh, uh, because. It's, a lot of Marine officers, they, they either go law enforcement or, or law law school. Um, there's not a lot of practical things you can do with what they teach you in the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So um, I, the FBI was, was where I wanted to head, back to Quantico, Virginia. The, in fact, the, the Marine Corps Officer Candidate School is right next door to the FBI Academy in Quantico. It always has been. 
And uh, but, but the year again, bad timing on my part. I remember the FBI coming to to Notre Dame because that's a big uh, something about Notre Dame. You know, the Irish Catholic sort of culture that's there and, mm-hmm. and fighting. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of most of our wars have been won by. Uh, Irish, Scots Irish Americans, uh, many of our war heroes and some of the toughest sons of bitches <laughs> have been Scots Irish. Yeah. Uh, roughly translated today as rednecks, which we're not supposed to say. But <laughs> God right. damn, they know how to fight. <laughs> you know? Wow. The truth is the truth. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to criticize them. But yeah, so the F- FBI guys come to recruit, and, they, and there's like the room full of people interested, and he had to tell us that they had a hiring freeze. They were not hiring anyone that year. It was 1991. I can't recall the reason why. And so I had to look elsewhere. And uh, I didn't really have anything. And so I had to default back home where I think a firm in Evansville had shown some interest in me. And so I spent a summer clerking here and hit it off with one of the attorneys in, the, in, the, in that office. And he seemed to have a good quality of life. His name's Steve Thomas. And funny that uh, we, we worked together for a few years. He was kind of my boss. And then we separated and each became injury lawyers. He went to the one firm, I went to another, and then just a, five years ago, we reunited, and Steve joined my firm and brought yeah. his son, and so Steve's now 70, um, and so um, a little role reversal, but he's he was my mentor, and now we're uh, partners. And huh, so that's neat. Yeah. That is cool. It's been very satisfying to practice like that in, in a boutique firm that's uh, family. Yeah, and, and you were mentioning that, that you actually have these relationships with your clients. It feels like family because you're yeah. working on their behalf. And that is the interesting nature of, um, and I think some people might enjoy seeing a peek behind the curtain of the personal injury practice. Uh, it is a kind of a loaded thing because uh, injury lawyers don't have the best, perhaps, public perception for many reasons. Uh, and, and some of it's self-inflicted because the, the nonstop uh, bombardment. Uh, anywhere you drive in America, you know, you're hounded by... <laughs> By billboards, that yeah. hammer, dude. Uh, yeah, Jesus he's Christ, Christ, man. <laughs> some what of them the are. Fuck is that? <laughs> oh, and it's even worse in some markets. I remember uh, I went to Charleston for the first time a couple of years ago, and I don't know what's in the water in Charleston, but it's a great place to be a trial lawyer. Some of the best trial lawyers come out of the south, uh, southeastern part of the United States. But they had these billboards. These guys are obsessed with rhyming and being cute. The one or one guy said, uh, his billboard says, "In a pickle, call John Dill." <laughs> or, or not, wow. not, not, yeah, not rhyming, yeah. but these yeah, really, whatever. really yeah. horrible. But, the, uh, but here I am talking about it because I remember deplorable it. Yeah. It's so bad. Right? It's cringe. Yeah, cringeworthy. Yeah, but are you thinking you're going to call that guy if you're in a pickle? <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know, John. No. <laughs> I'm calling the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> or, oh, you know, I was just in uh, Los Angeles last weekend, and uh, or two weekends ago, and the billboard, I saw it a few times around on the I-5 and some other interstates. It said, uh, tired of lawyer billboards? Call John Thompson. <laughs> johnthompson.com or whatever. I don't remember his name. <laughs> it's like <laughs> tired of lawyer billboards. Who approved yeah, that? Call, uh, call me. But you make it. <laughs> you make an interesting point that was like yeah. really profound for me in terms of like a family law attorney doesn't want the case to end. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about this. I think a lot of um, Americans don't necessarily know this. We, th- we think that all people know these things, but they don't. Uh, generally speaking, there's two categories of attorneys. And there's a lot like in politics, Democrats and Republicans. You know, there aren't many people in between. Right. And so with attorneys, there are, the, there are attorneys who charge by the hour, and they bill their generally wealthy clients. Uh, although, like in a family law case, they're not necessarily wealthy. But they bill by the hour, so they keep you know, meticulous track of their time, and they charge anywhere from probably in larger markets to $200 a low end to 
six hundred upwards to thousands of dollars in New York City on the high end, probably right. per hour. And every fifteen minutes is you know considered it's part it's built. So um, and that's the traditional view. And so many people think that that's how I make a living is by billing my time. And people make those jokes: how much, <laughs> how long we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. But with the other type of attorney in America, does not bill by the hour, and they. They handle cases on what's called a contingent fee basis. So my, I'm a contingent fee lawyer. Almost all, virtually all, injury lawyers, if they're you know good, decent, <laughs> uh, normal injury lawyers, they charge on a um, contingent fee versus an hourly rate. And and generally speaking, in, in our country, the contingent fee is roughly one third, which by the way is thirty three point three three percent, not thirty <laughs> percent. Okay. <laughs> Some clients try to catch you on that one. Yeah. Uh, some some charge a little more, some charge a little less. So it's roughly a third. But here's what's cool about it. So you don't. If I take your case, you don't owe me a dime. And if we're not successful for some reason, and of course we choose our cases very carefully, we only mm-hmm. want the successful cases. Then we get paid when our clients get paid. So it's it's like the concept of eating, right? You don't eat until your client eats, and you eat together at the same table. And I like that. Yeah. And so. In, in many ways, in most ways, our financial, my financial interests are virtually aligned with my client. And that is, we want to get as, as much as reasonably possible, as quickly as possible. Um, so the more the I The better get, I do, the better you do. Yes, like it's, it's a win-win. Yeah, I sure. love, who doesn't love win-wins? I right? love win-wins. Yeah. And so unfortunately, if, if you're in a family law situation or even a corporate situation, you generally, if you have a legal problem, you want it to go away. Yeah, the faster, yeah. the better. Yeah. And so if your attorney is getting paid by the hour, you know, yeah. there's an inherent financial incentive for, for that attorney, perhaps. And I'm not saying they do this insidiously or purposely, but the fact is it's hard to escape mm-hmm. that all things being equal i think the attorney might want it to and they're you know and, and they're going to rationalize and say they're being cautious about things and this has to be done and this has to be done and we need to do all these things to make sure but sometimes it's like wearing a belt and a suspenders does it really need to be done <laughs> right, or right. Does, does the attorney want to add a year to the, yeah, to the case you yeah. always have to wonder that in the back of your mind and and again i think that even perhaps subconsciously because Every professional in good faith thinks that their services are helping their clients. That's how we get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not criticizing any attorney who bills by the hour. Um, and, and many are aware of this, I think, sort of uh, the fact that their interests are contradictory to their clients and they try to help save their clients money. Well, and therapy is, you know, exactly that. Like, yeah. I mean, if my client gets better, Right. <laughs> right. That's actually a win-lose. It's a win for my client and it's a lose for me. Right. And I had to deal with that conflict early on. It was like the only remedy to that is to be the best therapist that I can be. Like if I'm if I'm pushing myself, if I'm if I'm worth it, then I don't have to worry about if a if a client gets better quickly, awesome. Because right, right. then the person that they talk to is like, you got to go see him. You got to go mm-hmm. see him. Because that was a very difficult ethical quandary for me about our field. And the only way that I could find my way out of it was, all right, bro, you got to, you know, you've, you've got to bring your A game. You've got to be worth it because you're not just going to milk clients along. You're not going to be their best friends. You're not, you know, those kinds of things. So, I, so I've had to navigate that, that ethical area. And one thing that you do that, that I like is, and I'm just going to use this term, you'll fire somebody. So if you know they're not going to get better, then it's like, I don't want your money. I've got people that I can help. 
and I admire that's that. That's interesting. Yeah. I oh yeah, I've fired a lot of clients. <laughs> um, How many sessions would I last before you fire me? Uh, let's see. Based on the comments, it, I it, well, <laughs> I mean, it, it the 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 personal value, like I would enjoy it, but like, okay, Neil, you can only tell me I'm stupid and wrong so many times. No, I don't know. Boy, uh, but, you're, but you're not a narcissist if you know it, right? That's exactly that's, right. That's what that's I was exactly telling my wife. Right. I remind her of that fact. Yeah, I'm not a narcissist if I know it. Well, and I, and narcissism right now is like the fucking flavor of the month. Everybody's a goddamn <laughs> narcissist, and the problem with that is when everybody's a narcissist, nobody's a narcissist. And the of the of the personality disorder clusters. Sorry, you hit a hot spot. Right, fucking. So is that the DSM four? DSM Do we're I now in the points? fifth iteration. Oh, oh, there, I learned yes, something yes, this morning. Yes, yes. Number five. Oh, which wow. Don't get me started. On the DSM five, because so, uh, so is narcissism still a personality disorder? Yes, it is. Oh, but thank God. Of of the cl- <laughs> of this is fucking important. You two, okay, now, we're listening. I'm I've got the conch shell. Of the cluster B personality disorders, right? There's a whole bunch of them there. Right. There's there's being narcissistic or having narcissistic tendencies. Okay. Yeah. Of those personality disorders, narciss- to be a narcissist is exceedingly toxic. But narcissistic tendencies are actually quite healthy because it, nar- it requires narcissistic tendencies to think, I can do that differently. I can do that better. I can fix that problem. So if you don't have some level of a narcissistic tendency, society will never move forward. And, and that's what gets me just going because narcissism is just like, you know, it was bipolar and then it was ADHD before that. And now we're on to narcissism. Well, no, no, it used to be meth and now it's narcissism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Well, he didn't have any meth in his blood, but uh, he's clearly a narcissist. Clearly a narcissist. So, uh, yeah. So, narcissistic tendencies are healthy and necessary and are completely different than having narcissistic personalities. You know, that explains a lot, actually. That's really interesting insight on that. And it explains how, you know, when we were in the officers' club and all the fighter pilots would come in, number one, you knew your odds of getting laid just went to zero. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. Really did. I was in a, a missile battalion. We had stinger missiles. So the only thing I would say to them is, well, I can shoot you down with a $40,000 missile. <laughs> and if I realize it's a mistake after it leaves the tube, there's no calling it back. <laughs> Your 30 million F 30 million F 18 is going down. But uh, those guys come in those leather jackets at the officers' club, and they talk with their uh, their hands, you know, and they, their hand inverted. There I was, like this, and they're mimicking how their yeah. jet's flying upside down. They're telling this nurse, and there's like 12 Navy nurses on the entire base, you know. We call them Okinawan 10s. They're about, a, you know, <laughs> seven, maybe back home. But in Okinawa, they were 10s. So anyway, those fighter, but but back to narcissists. So every fighter pilot had to be a narcissist. That mm-hmm. you you have to land on an aircraft carrier at night. No rational person would do. That's you gotta exactly really think, right. You got to think a lot of yourself. Yeah, right. I can fucking so, do that. Right? So yeah. yeah. So those characters in Top Gun, the you know Val Kilmer character, sure. he nailed it. Those guys are totally full of themselves, mm-hmm. but for good reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same with the brain surgeons. You ever tried talking to a brain surgeon? I've oh tried. My, oh my God! Had one as a client once. <laughs> session and a half. That's how far we made it. I was like, 
<laughs> no, bro, ain't nothing worth this, man. Like, I'm gonna go ahead and refer you to somebody else. But can you can you imagine cracking open someone's skull and working right. on the brain? And think yeah. that yeah, that's a good idea. I should do that. That's yeah. where those narcissistic right. tendencies. Right. Without that, exploration would not would not occur. So, so their stress isn't there when they're doing it. They're thinking, I can do this. Right. And if anybody can, I can do it. Right. Wow. And me alone. I alone. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> Sounds yeah. familiar, and I'm not going to go there. But. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here, here's something that I don't, I'm, I'm going to try to frame this in a way that's coherent, but uh, the likelihood is not very good. <laughs> One thing that I've always in, been intrigued by you is – your ability to brand like you're it seems like you're you know all all guys want to be successful right they're all like they want to and i think they're all like they they want to be successful but they don't really have a fucking clue how to do that and you've you make that seem effortless mm-hmm. in terms of the distinguishing yourself, making yourself uniquely different. I don't even know what I'm asking, but is if you can find a question in that, feel free to answer it. <laughs> well, <clears throat> look, I, I think with uh, it, and, and the, 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 the new term, and again, it's, forgive me, it's pretentious as hell, uh, personal branding. You know, you've heard about this being mm-hmm. bandied about <laughs> on the Internet now for the past several years, personal branding. And everybody, you know, especially social media, it calls mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. But it does allow <clears throat> an individual to just be themselves and really reach the heights of, of course, through people with millions of followers. And how do they do it? I, I think you gotta, you got to go with, mo- with, with what your mama gave you. You know, you got to find something about yourself that is distinctive, that has a hook. It's it's all about a hook. What makes you memorable somehow? And I think that um, I just maybe had a vague sense about what it was, and and I got lucky. And I think um, so. Your personal brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Is maybe the best. Uh, okay. Or sometimes when you are in the room, yeah. in the case of you guys, <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> no filter here, but um, I, I guess, and I remember you asked, when did I realize this? As a young kid, one one show that really hit me between the eyes was Hawaii Five O. Ah. And if you haven't, the original one, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. for those who can remember, if you go back on YouTube and pull up the intro of Hawaii Five O. And if you remember, it had the great music, and a helicopter comes in over the waves in Hawaii, and there was a mixture of shots, if you recall. There were the wide-angle shots of the, the beach, Miami Beach. Like it was, or no, Hawaii, Miami. Hawaii. I'm the genius. <laughs> yeah, Hon- Honolulu. Uh, no okay. offense, Neil, but it <laughs> might have been Hawaii. <laughs> might have been. <laughs> Oh, who knows? Yeah, right. And and then and then there were some close-up shots. You might remember as a young boy, the hula hoop dancers, mm. hips, you know. And there were quick cuts, which became fashionable years later, you know. So it was it was quick editing. They had the wide-angle shots. They had the medium, and then had the close-up shots that mm-hmm. showed a, a turbine of a jet engine for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> and then cuts to these uh, FBI agents who were always in motion, you know, and the Bookham Dano thing. And if you remember how it ended. It, it zoomed in on Jack Lord, I think was the actor, maybe the lead role. And he's standing on a balcony of this condo in Honolulu. 
no reason why he is. Yeah. And he turns around just as it zooms in on him, you know, the quick cut and his hair is in the wind and he, the guy just looks cool, right? <laughs> and I remember thinking, I want to be like that guy, you know? <laughs> and so years later, and I'm, I have my office at the top of this, uh, the tallest building in Evansville for what that's worth, <laughs> an 18-story tower, which is not a tower in Chicago, but in right. Evansville, bloody well is. <laughs> my office on the 17th floor. And on the 18th, of course, it was the Petroleum Club for many years, but it had been defunct. So there was nothing on the 18th floor for the years I was there, which is roughly 2010 to 2016, up there by Lonesome. And uh, I thought, you know, this building has been neglected. Old National Bank had moved out. There was only a handful of tenants in there. At the time, I think I was the only law firm in there. And it just seemed weird to me. Why don't we celebrate this building anymore? It's got gorgeous mid-century modern lines that still that had been erected in the late 60s, but still looked, I thought, powerful and compelling it dominated our skyline the tallest building with 120 miles and so i thought what if i did a commercial on the top of that building and got a drone to come in just like the shot in hawaii 50 and so that was my concept and i i called uh, toby hitchcock a local uh, drone slash videographer guy who hey <laughs> with a name like hitchcock right he better be fucking good <laughs> that's exactly right and um I gave Toby the concept, and he just nailed it. Uh, and I, I loved the outcome. And uh, it, it seemed to get a lot of – it was different for a lawyer commercial. There was very – I just did a voiceover. Uh, this is your city. These are your streets. And they would show the city, show the streets from above, you know, and injured in a car crash. And then it would come in on me. This music builds and the climax. This is your lawyer. And then it showed me standing with a scowl on my face or something, trying yeah. to look cool like Jack Lord. Hell yeah. yeah. And that's so, so it was like one of those, uh, you know, a children's story almost. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open it up. Here are the people. <laughs> this is your city. These are your streets. Injured in a car crash. This is your lawyer. Yeah. And, but so here's the funny thing. When people saw that commercial, they didn't really think of Hawaii Five O. Instead, what they got from it was sort of a Gotham, uh, Batman, mm -hmm. Dark Knight, superhero kind of thing, because it was cinematic. And of course, at this time, it was when you know every movie and every hit in Hollywood was becoming superhero movies. Right. And so, uh, but again, that wasn't my intent. But that's what it triggered, and that's what it's like an inkblot test. If you, if you throw some marketing out there that's a little different, and you you don't even have to know where it's going. But if people notice it, they're going to bring a narrative to it. It's, you know, they, we talk about storytelling and how, how the hell do you tell a story in 30 seconds? And it can be really hard. Uh, Hollywood tries to tell stories, of course. Usually they nail it. Sometimes they don't. And so if you don't necessarily, don't overthink it. You can t just give, throw something out there that's different and unique and let people bring, let people fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. uh, Hemingway talked about this. I learned <laughs> there's a new Ken Burns documentary about Hemingway. And I'd not heard this before. And I was kind of a fan of Hemingway and read some of it in college, of course, like everybody, but he called it the iceberg method to where the words were just the part above, I guess, the, I think it's called the iceberg. And so he, he wanted the reader to fill in the rest. Yeah. And, and that's why so much of his writing was very terse and sparse and uh, Spartan. Any other words? Fucking the source here. <laughs> um, so, I, so I'm trying that visually. I think visual communication is where it's at. Um, you know, picture, <laughs> picture tells a thousand words. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so with my marketing, I didn't, uh, most personal injury lawyers in America are trying to be their own pitch man. Injured in a crash? Call me. 
And oh, by the way, I do have an alter ego. If, if I wanted to become a, a cheesy, typical injury lawyer in America, like the ham, not not the, you know, I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm not oh, criticizing many, him in any way. He's got too many fucking billboards. That's for but like the hammer. I came up with my alter ego. Oh, this, this is, is good. this is what I would do. Here he goes. Right. With, uh, is this the first time this yeah. is going public? Yeah, yeah. First oh, time. perfect. Now, disclaimer: this is a joke, and if you ever see me roll this out, <laughs> shoot me. All right. But it would go something like this: Injured in a crash? Call me, Big Check Chapman. Been in a wreck? Get a check. Call the Big Check. Big Check Chapman. <laughs> All right. All right. And I don't this know. Maybe maybe it. I'm wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah. You are definitely wearing yeah. a cowboy so, hat. Oh, so yeah, how yeah. much money am I leaving on the table by being a wannabe James Bond, Batman, whatever the hell it is? A lot, I, Neil. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I feel... I could, I could have been Big Check. <laughs> big Check. Been in a wreck, Chapman. Big Check. Oh. oh, God, that is fucking fantastic. Take it national. I could license it to other big checks around the country. That's what the hammer does. Some some lawyer yeah. in Texas came up with the hammer idea, and he licensed it for thousands of dollars a month to other lawyers around the country. No shit. Yeah, God, pretty sure about that. I'm suck as a businessman. <laughs> I, I think one of I think one of the points that you made that is most critical is that in the beginning you have to know yourself, and I think that's in everything. That's what I think people, but men in particular, is they're looking outward. They're not looking inward. They're, they're emulating somebody else. They're maybe if I act like that, maybe, you know, it's just, but the, the journey inward for men is one that in my opinion is seldom taken. And where I need to know myself, I need to know what it is about me that makes me uniquely different. And I think this goes, I think this applies to everything. I think this applies to my relationship with my spouse. I think this applies to what it is that I impart to my children. I think it is, what is it that I uniquely offer my community that no one else can offer? And then that does become in and of itself also a personal brand. But it's, it's like pleading with men, look inward. Like, look inward. You know, oftentimes they'll come to therapy for the right answer. It's like, hey, Jeff, give me the right answer. And it's like, that ain't how this shit works, bro. You, you've, you've got to go inward, and you've got to get to know yourself. And I do this cheesy exercise with guys, uh, mostly because they fucking hate it, and I just like to watch <laughs> them hate it. Uh, but I hated it, too. But uh, it, it, was a, it was a technique divide, devised by a psychologist by the name of Martin Seligman, which is like, my, if I ever met Martin, I'd fucking fall over. Like, <laughs> I couldn't even talk. But uh, you introduced the assignment. I want you to write a letter, and I want you, in this letter, you're introducing your best friend. And... Mm-hmm. You're introducing all the attributes of your best friend, all the things that you love about them, and and give as many examples of experiencing that with them as you can, and 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 let your language be enthusiastic and those kinds of things. And then the catch to the exercise is, but I don't want you to describe your best friend. I want you to describe you. Now, most of the time when I say that to men, they're like, I don't understand. <laughs> it's like, all right, let me, let me, let me explain. And the resistance mm-hmm. of one, just that internal journey mm-hmm. 
what is inside of me, but then also a willingness to look at the parts of me that are, that are unique, that are powerful, that are useful, that are, that should be celebrated. It's like for us as men, it's almost like, well, that's, that's like girly. That's mm-hmm. like, a, oh, absolutely. It, and it's, it's navel gazing. Right. It's not manly. Yeah, that's exactly no. right. No, if you're Clint Eastwood, you're not thinking about yourself. No, no, no. That's exactly you're, you're, you're right. You're walking into town and you're thinking about who you're going to shoot next. <laughs> that's yeah, <laughs> and that's fucking cool, but not always useful. And that I think what what you're saying as it relates to branding and knowing yourself and then it, assertively expressing that has transcendent value. Just it 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 it's going to help distinguish you in what you do professionally. And it's going to change your marriage and you're going to influence your kids in new ways that you didn't even know that you had to impart. I think this is uh, today's ball scratcher. It sounds like stumbled it, yeah. right in. <laughs> Thank you, Neil Chapman yeah. for serving up yeah. the ball scratcher. Yeah. And, and something about the, like the way Neil does it is he's comfortable in his own skin, you know, and authentic, but he's okay with however you want to interpret it. You know, you were saying you just throw it out there and somebody else can supply the narrative. I think you're okay with that. You're not trying to, to twist that or manipulate it. It's like, here's who I am. I, I want to help. I, I'm, I'm me. Well, I love collaborating. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, you're, you're kind of collaborating in, yeah. that, in that way. And, and yeah, you got to be confident and, and yeah. vul- not, not too vulnerable. Um, the other thing uh, I, I want to mention about marketing, you know, all this flashy or cool whatever marketing, uh, buzzwords, hooks, and everything else. They mean nothing, of course, if you cannot serve yeah. your clients in a, in a better way than what they expect. And this, our first thing I want to talk about, I think, earlier this morning, is expectations and how important it is to deliver. And so you were talking about in your practice where, let, let's say you can maybe be helpful for someone a little faster than some, and so maybe someone stops seeing you after two months whereas other therapists might run it on forever and ever. But it actually ends up helping your practice because the referrals, go back to, go back to Jeff, uh, you know, gosh, mm-hmm. he helped me so quickly. So you're going to get more clients that way. And so whether you, and, and I'm also, uh, I'm a landlord on the side. I have, I have a handful of uh, rental properties around Newburgh and Evansville. And I, I'm, I'm a little strange because I enjoy, <laughs> I actually enjoy landlording. I enjoy providing, these are single family homes, three bedroom, two bath. And I, I enjoy providing good and, and not just good housing. It, I, I like to be, my houses are stylish if I can help it. I mean, I, I pay attention to the colors and it's the kind of house that I would live in if I, mm-hmm. if I, I wouldn't hesitate to live in one of my houses and I like, and I enjoy providing that to people. And I also enjoy being a responsive landlord who, who actually will fix things and make the way I would want them fixed. Mm-hmm. And that just blows people. People are just, just so grateful. And I get off on that. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy beating expectations, yeah. whether it's as a lawyer, the, best, yeah. the biggest compliment I ever get is, you're not like any other lawyer I used to know. <laughs> you're not, not what I expected. Yeah. Uh, I give my cell number to clients. And used to, you know, that's probably becoming more and more, more common. Of course, not all lawyers, criminal defense attorneys probably <laughs> are not going to give others <laughs> stuff one way to every potential client. But but I, I'm, I don't want obstacles between me and my clients or between me and my potential clients. Mm-hmm. I even I even put at one time I had my cell number on a billboard I think but I've dropped numbers altogether on billboards I think my cell number might be on my website and I don't I don't mind it. of course I program my iPhone so that if someone's calling and I'm not 
particularly want to talk to them at the moment than I text them or whatnot. But I, I text, and that's and so we we now have uh, who's counting, but over oh, over hundred uh, Google reviews, and I think they're all, every one of, every one of them is five star. Wow! And so people think that's yeah, you know that we're we're somehow Dude. manipulating or faking. That. How do you do that? Ain't. You're like Jeez. I just I just ask now. You haven't granted. I don't any? ask every client to leave a review. I was going to say, like, but fuck me, but man. So far, I got yeah. some of them on there that are like spawn of Satan. Anyway, I always so, always tell people I ain't vanilla. Like if yeah. you want vanilla, yeah. and people say to me like after they meet me, they're like, they say to you, you're not like other attorneys. They say to me. Are you really a therapist? <laughs> so maybe I maybe I have overbrand a little bit too much, but it will be a unique experience yeah, that right. I can assure you. So right. my point is though, if you do no if you do do no traditional marketing, right. you either can't afford to or don't want to. It's just not you. By delivering and over delivering, that is the best personal branding you can do. Yeah, you know, hundred percent. Because and you're probably going to get those free Google reviews. That doesn't cost anything. And, and that you know, studies as, as you guys know. Uh, a, a five-star Google review that sounds authentic and is authentic is is nearly as effective as a strong review from a trusted friend or family member to the average consumer. Yeah, yeah. and very few. You know, I don't buy a pair of socks really without mm-hmm. googling you know, yeah, right. review Google yeah. review. Yeah, uh, and and so that's lately that's been my secret sauce. I think is reading those Google reviews. And I always tell they say, well, what should I say? And I said, use your own words. I'm not going to tell you what to say. Yeah. If, I, if I wrote it, it sound like. <laughs> You know, Neil totally yeah. wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what was his name again? The check guy, uh, big check big chap, big man. check wrote that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes. I don't know. We may have to give that more consideration. Oh, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, to, the message I think to and, and some young people who are thinking about it, or, or not necessarily young or old or whatever in between, people who are thinking about starting a, a new business, a side gig, a, a big entrepreneur. And so many times they get wrapped up about a, a business plan. Of course, that's the you know the advice you hear, or form an LLC. Like you have to form an LLC or a corporation. Right? Wants, you know they have that card and mm-hmm. they have a corporation and they're the CEO, right? <laughs> and the president <laughs> and the chief information officer, and uh, yeah, it's yeah. in their basement. Yeah, <laughs> uh, don't do those things. Just get out there and be useful and and over deliver a little bit. Beat the expectation. And that gets people talking and the word of mouth. And then later on, if you think you need an LLC, which I think largely is overrated personally, uh, then you can always get an LLC. But people think there's some kind of shortcut, you know, to being successful in a small business. And you just got to, you got to jump out of the airplane and, and, and find your parachute on the way down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Sometimes, and, you know, and yeah, what absolutely. I experienced, Neil, is that so many people are afraid of differentiating themselves. They're like, it, 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 it's it's never been done that way. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. When you say it out loud, out loud, it's like you have to differentiate yourself. I mean, if you just, if you look like everybody else, how is anybody else going to notice you? And I know, you know, I get a lot of calls from therapists and they'll, you know, they'll ask me like, how do you, and it's like, it ain't fucking magic. Like, but I, I, I put myself out there much like the, the, your process. It's like, I figured out, you know, what my, what was unique about me as a therapist and I branded that shit and people are going to respond the way that they're going to respond. And fortunately it has been, now I, I do the work, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. There's I no work, substitute. There's no substitute right. I yeah. work very, very hard on my skills as a therapist 
and I differentiate myself. And you can't be afraid of that. You cannot. And I was, you know, I mean, I, but it's just, you have to make a choice. Am I going to let that fear dictate my action or am I going to experience the discomfort? I'm going to put myself out there and we're going to see what happens. Uh, and it, it's, it, 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 one, it created a practice that's totally natural for me. I mean, for me to wear a tie. <laughs> but what you do probably doesn't feel like work to you. No. I mean, it's so not. Much. It's yeah. like people come over and we hang out for a little while and it's like it, you know, and, and, and it's reciprocated. That's what it feels like to them. It's like, well, this isn't really, I mean, that's, I can do this. I didn't think I could do therapy, yeah, but I can yeah. do this. Yeah. You know, being, being different. You don't have to be radically different even. It can be a, a small little thing that can mean a lot. If you think back how many years it has been now, probably 30 years perhaps, when Enterprise Rental came out with the idea, yeah. I think they did it in TV commercials, we'll pick you up, right? Yeah. No one had thought of that before right? yeah. or did it. No one did it before. And before you knew it, who was number one? Enterprise. And now Enterprise has been number one for maybe 20 years and Hertz and Avis, frankly, have struggled. Right. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, I think, I needed a rental car from Enterprise. And I asked them to come pick me up. They're like, oh, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> what? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, dude, we're way past that. Man. That's no cute, though. Hey, Joe, this guy just asked if we'd come pick him up. <laughs> That's awesome. That's all. Awesome. So be careful of getting too, <laughs> too high on your horse. Yeah. Remember, remember the girl isn't brought you to the party. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> Took right. Took you to the dance. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts, Greg Allen, you got any more questions for Big Check Chapman? No, I don't think so. That's a top. You should have that's never right told there. me that. Yeah. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah, that's perfect. All right. Well, it was more interesting than I thought it would be. Um, oh, so I, I beat your expect your low expectations. There you yeah, go, there you and uh, love to have you back sometime because I know you have some uh, things around the area of parenting that I would love to explore because I know most men feel categorically lost in terms of their parent parenting. They're reacting. They're not active. They're not assertive. They don't. They don't really even know what they're trying to do. Uh, other than reinforce social norms by you better get your fucking grades up or, yeah. you know, things like that. Uh, but thank you so much for the time mm -hmm. and thank you for being here. Uh, yeah. And we will have you back if you would be so inclined. Would love to. Uh, I'm not particularly good at parenting, but I do like talking about it. And then I want to share my big big brother, big sister program. Yes, yes, yes. We definitely the, want to jump the, into The nine-year-old boy that I was recently matched with. And yeah. I'm enjoy, enjoying that. All right, perfect. We lot, will have so. you back soon to explore yeah. those things. Wonderful. Thank you, All Neil. Right. Thanks, right. Neil. Thanks, guys. Thanks.